Friends, thanks again for coming to church. This morning we continue a series we're calling Indescribable, in which we're attempting the impossible to describe the indescribable God. Uh, today you're not stuck with me. I'm glad to tell you you're, my dear friend Rob Harder's speaking. Rob's the director of the Christian Center of Park City, an incredible organization that, that helps uh, people in need all through our region and I'm, I'm thankful for Rob's leadership for his ministry for his spiritual friendship to me and for his insight from the Bible and I had the privilege of hearing Rob at, at some of our services yesterday and, and I'll tell you this is an important message and I pray in this moment you open your heart to hear from God as he speaks through our friend before Rob comes pray with me Lord in this moment help us to hear you I know we came in with all kinds of narratives about who you are. Some of them, some of them are true. Some of them are false. So Lord, I pray today we live, we leave this place with a, a fuller, richer understanding of who you are, and may that understanding make a difference in the way we think and feel tomorrow. I pray it in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Troy, and good morning, Capital. How's everybody doing? Doing good? All right. Good to be here. Well, you know, I was talking last week with a good friend of mine who was on a trip with her family, and she was taking pictures of her kids as she was kayaking. And as she took pictures, she accidentally dropped her phone and it went to the lake and disappeared. Yeah. And she did not back up her contacts. And so she lost about 2,000 contacts. And part of our conversation was, give me your cell phone again because I've lost it. And she was telling me how she just panicked when she lost her phone because of all that was on her phone. And it just, we kind of laughed about it a little bit, but I, I could share that pain and, and that anxiety if I were to lose my phone in that way. In fact, it reminded me, this is several years now back, um, when my wife and I went on a trip. And we went on a trip, one of the first times we left without our kids. So it was going to be a big trip, it was a really special time, and... We were all excited. We got to the airport and we're unpacking everything, ready to head to the gate. And then I realized all of a sudden, I didn't have my computer. Now, to give you a little more context, that was back before the days that our phones were mini computers. That was when phones were really just something to call somebody with. So the computer was everything. It had my files. It was my email. It was my way to communicate to people. It had all my work on there. And it was right in the middle of a very busy season of life. My job was more than full-time and just very busy. We had little kids. I was pursuing a doctoral degree. My life was overfull. And when I realized I didn't have my computer with me, I panicked just for a little bit. And it took me a couple of days to finally relax and realize life's going to be okay. <laughs> when I get back, I'll have a mountain of work to do, but that is okay. And you know what? That was one of our best vacations. And God taught me a lot of, number one, I need to have better boundaries between work and life, between my relationships and work. And also reminded me that God's still in control. When things don't go the way you plan, God's still in control. And as I share that with you, uh, why I share that is because isn't it amazing how tied we are to these things? Whether it be your computer, and I think maybe now our phone is even more something that we depend upon almost we can almost maybe say that because it's with us all the time you can put your phone in your pocket and keep it with you you can't really do that with your computer and these are so powerful anyway you can do almost anything on your phone that you would do on your computer nowadays anyway 
Now let me ask you something. As you think about if you ever were to lose your phone or, or forget it on a trip. Let's do a quick audit on how often you keep your phone with you. So no, no need to show hands, but I just want to ask you a question. Think about just this last week. How much time this past week did you not have your phone either in your hand, in your pocket, or on your hip, or within hand's reach? Think about how much time. My guess is almost none. We keep these things with us at all times. Even when you go to bed, that may be the one time you finally separate yourself from your phone, and guess what? You put it on your nightstand, right? It's still within hand's reach. Some of you may even go to sleep, and you're scrolling through Facebook, and then you wake up like an hour later, and your phone's like falling down, and because you never, you fell asleep looking at Facebook or whatever you were doing. Because we have these things with us all the time. Perhaps when you wake up, What's the very first thing you do? You pick up your phone. When you first wake up, you check your messages, you check the weather, you check your Instagram, you, you check the weather, or you check the news. You just, you go on your phone. And that's the first thing that wakes you up. Maybe it's your alarm, so you have to pick it up, but then you start looking at your phone, right? I can't think of more of a ubiquitous and omnipresent thing in our life than this thing right here, Right? Now, why do I say all of that? Because as Troy said, we're in this series, Indescribable. And today I want to talk about God's omnipresence. In other words, he's with us all the time. God is everywhere all the time. It's one of those great attributes of God. And so for you to realize that God is omnipresent, that may be the most comforting thing you've heard, or it may be one of the most terrifying things that you've heard. It depends on how you view it. Now let's talk about you know the characteristics of God. If you've been with us in this series, um, we've been going through a lot of great, interesting uh, descriptions and attributes of God. Uh, one of the things I really appreciated about uh, Troy starting with, with this quote that he gave from A.W. Tozer. I, I love this quote because I think it's so true, and I'm just going to repeat it for you. It's up here on the screen. Troy mentioned this at the beginning of this series. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I couldn't agree more. See, theology matters. Theology is simply our understanding of God, our understanding of who God is in our life. Theology is not just for some crusty old robe-wearing library hermits who speak Greek and Hebrew. No, theology is for all of us. In fact, I would submit to you, we all have a theology. Whether we understand it fully or articulate it fully or not, we have an understanding or belief about God. Our view of God shapes our very lives. How we view God, how we interact with God, shapes our very lives. And even if we're here today and we don't really necessarily believe in God, well, that shapes our life too. Because our view of God shapes the very way we live. Now, many of you um, have grown up, including myself, I throw myself in this, where we've had different ideas of God, and sometimes we have some misperceptions, misunderstandings of who God is. 
Maybe you share some of these. Like Maybe you still, to this day, or maybe you grew up with this conception of God that he really is kind of a police officer God. In other words, he's just waiting for you to get out of line and he's going to catch you doing something wrong. And you've kind of lived in fear of God a bit because who wants to be caught by the police God? Is that you? Have you had that perception of God? Maybe a grandfather God. Maybe you think, oh, there's this great old man that you could talk to and he's, he's just someone to kind of spend time with. But in the end of the day, he's a little too feeble to do much for you when you really need him. You have an old grandfather type image of God. Or maybe you think about God and, and you hear about God as our father, but it's like, well, he's an absentee parent in my life because he's not a part of my life. I don't feel like he's a part of my life. Is that you? Or maybe you think of God and you think God is the one who set up this universe, but he's preoccupied with running the universe. He has no time for your life. He's not going to invest in your personal life because he's too busy running the universe. I don't know if any of those connect with you or not, but I know we all grew up with some misperceptions and misunderstandings of God, and that affects our relationship with God. It can actually cause us to distrust God if we don't have a correct understanding. And that's why I'm so glad Troy's going through this series on doing our best to describe the attributes of God. In fact, this little rewind, if you haven't been with us, I encourage you to check out the messages online. But let me just kind of remind you of a couple things we've gone through the last two weeks because it does set up, I think, today's message pretty well. A couple of weeks ago, Troy mentioned that we should seek God even when we don't see him. And he basically made the point that there's times where we don't see God in our life. We don't feel like he's there, and yet we need to seek him anyway because he is there. Sometimes when God doesn't feel like he's there, he's actually there even in more powerful ways. And the story of Joseph is a great example of that. And then he said last week, in order to find God, you have to want to find him. And I think that's very true, that God is here with us at all times. But sometimes we don't want to find him. We're kind of good doing our life on our own. And I think that's true too. So today what I'd like to do is kind of using that as a springboard, a foundation, if you will. I want to talk about, again, God's omnipresence and why does that matter and how does that matter for our lives today? All right, a couple of verses to kind of set you up and, and where do we get this idea of God's omnipresence? Up here on the screen, you'll read Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. It says this. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? declares the Lord. Colossians 1.17, He, God, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Psalm 139, 7-10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Now, these are just a few selections of many scriptures that describe to us the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere all the time. He's always here. There's not a place you can go on this planet or in the universe where God is already not there. That's God's omnipresence. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? It depends on how you view it, right? One of my favorite theologians, and I know one of Troy's favorite theologians is Dallas Willard. 
You get a Dallas Willard quote about every week, I think. So which I, I don't necessarily have a quote, but I do want to share with you what he talks about is the Emmanuel Principle. And the Emmanuel Principle, basically this idea is, he believes this is the central theme of Scripture, that the Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Christmas is coming up. You'll sing that song, Emmanuel, right? The idea that God is with us. And Dallas Willard submits, and I agree with him, that there's this constant desire of God, if you will, that you should be, that I should be, in every aspect, a dwelling place for him. He's created this world. He's created you and me. And he created this with this idea that in every aspect, we should be a dwelling place for God. That's the Emmanuel principle, that God is with us. And so I would submit to you today that God's not only with us, God's for us. God's not only with us, God's for us. See, God is not only omnipresent, but even better news, God is for us. And I want to unpack why I think that. Because here's what I would just say in general. I really believe this, that God wants each and every one of you to become everything God's created you to become. He wants to be involved in your life in a positive, life-giving, helping you become all that he first created you to become. Let me just share a couple of verses that back this up. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a powerful verse? In fact, I encourage you to read all of Romans 8. In fact, that context, you could really say it this way. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Some powerful verses that God is not only with us, God is for us. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians 3. Because Paul says some things in Ephesians 3 that really demand our attention to really dive a little deeper. So Ephesians 3, it's going to be up here on the screen. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, because Paul really starts spelling out this idea of what does it mean that God's omnipresent, and what does that mean for you and me and our spiritual journeys? Okay, here it is up on the screen. Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, there's a lot in here. So let's first of all talk about inner being. What does Paul mean by this word inner being? Now there's a lot in there. We don't have time to go into the philosophical debate about what does he really mean. But in summary, what Paul is saying is that our inner being is the combination of our heart, soul, and mind all together. It's the very core of our essence. What makes you, you, and separate from everybody else on the planet is your core, your inner being. It's where our mind and our heart and our soul all interrelate. I think we're certainly living in days now, I think we're realizing how our lives are so integrated, right? If physically you're not doing very good, that's going to impact your emotions. And if your emotions are not doing very well, that's going to impact your physical life and your spiritual life. We are integrated beings. It's the way God wired us up. And what Paul's telling us is that God's concerned about the very core of who you are, your inner being. He wants you to have a healthy inner being. He wants to strengthen your inner being because he knows on the inside is the center and the core of who you are and everything in your life flows from that. How's your inner being today? Well, Paul tells us God wants to strengthen us in our inner being. 
Jesus even picks this up. Luke 4, he says, A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. A good person brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Heart is the same idea of inner being. This idea that there's good that we can store up. And out of that flows the good in our life. Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. This idea that, again, our heart is so important. This inner being is so critical. Because if this is ordered correctly, if there's good coming on, going on in our hearts, our lives will be filled with goodness because it's going to flow right out of us. And that's what God wants to strengthen in our life and in your life. God's concerned about that. See, God is not only with us, he's for us. And he wants us to become the best version of ourselves. Now, this is easy to say, sometimes hard to do. Uh, many of you may know that uh, we got a new puppy recently. In fact, I think I've got a picture. There we go. There's Luna, our new little mini poodle. <laughs> She's such a sweet little dog, little fur ball, puff ball. She's great. Um, so this is kind of fun. The background is many of you know that my oldest daughter got married this year. And I'm still not sure how that happened because I'm only 28 years old. I don't know how that happened. Like really, how to, <laughs> just joking. Kids grow up so fast. And my oldest daughter is now married. And my middle daughter is in college in Colorado. And then my youngest daughter is 16. She can drive, and she's a danger to everybody on the roads. And so, um, no, she's a great driver, actually. But she is gone all the time now. She has the freedom and independence. So we're kind of at home by ourselves a lot. So we're kind of in this pre-empty nest syndrome. And my wife's like, we need to get a little bit more uh, noise and activity and energy in our house. Let's get a puppy. Great idea. <laughs> No, it was fun. So we got this puppy. We've never had a puppy before, by the way. Uh, so we got Luna as six month old. And uh, the owner was so excited. And she said, oh, Luna's fully potty trained. No, no, not fully potty trained. So a couple of months ago when we first got Luna, um, she was doing great. And we were doing everything we were taught to do, everything we read about how to take care of puppies and making sure they're always on a leash at different times. We did the crate method. And, you know, we took her out every two hours and things like that. In fact, there was a period of time where uh, I go to the church on Saturday night in Park City, of course. I would take Luna with me to church. So it's a very spiritual dog. I'm going to tell you, very spiritual. Um, anyway, so we were doing that. Everything we could to be very focused, right? It's like having a baby, right? It really is. And so she was doing great. But then she went through this four-day stretch, and it was rough. So she was leaving presents all over the place, and in the yellow and brown kind. And, uh, and we were doing everything we could to keep her close, we're keeping her on that leash and, and keeping her with us most of the time. And I'm like, how in the world did you find five seconds to go and make a, a deposit somewhere? Like, how in the world does this happen? You literally turn around and get food and then, oh, there you go. It was so crazy. So the third day of this, I literally took her out and went to the bathroom. And she did her business. She came back in, still had the leash on. She was right next to me. And she left me a nice brown present within five minutes. Right there. Like right next to me. And so my frustration had been building. And it just turned into anger. And I got so frustrated. I couldn't believe it. I was just like this frustration just boiled over, right? And so then my wife at that moment, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, um, said to me, Rob, what is going on? Like why are you reacting so strongly to this fluff ball? She didn't say fluff ball. But she was like, what is going on? And I realized, yeah, th there's this little thing that all of a sudden all this stuff came out of me of frustration and, and anger. 
And I realized in my inner being, in my heart, there was a lot of stress and anxiety and frustration of other things, work-related and other things going on in life. And this trigger moment of this little puppy making this little present for me just triggered it and it all came out. It started on the inside. So it is with us. Maybe this last week, you didn't yell at your puppy, you yelled at your spouse. Maybe you got mad at your kids. Maybe you got really frustrated with your coworkers your roommate. It happens to all of us. And really, if you want to work on that, right? And if you want to back up a little bit, you have to realize what's going on on the inside. That's where it starts, right? If you deal with the inside, then what comes out of your life and what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your heart will be better and good and ordered. And that's what Paul's saying, that God is concerned about that. He wants to strengthen us on the inside, that inner being, that core of who we are so that we can become the best version of ourselves. Because God's not only with us, God's for us. And that's the good news about God's omnipresence. He's for us. I think it's fascinating, the words that Paul uses. In fact, not only does he talk about God strengthening our inner being, but then Paul goes on to say something that really should blow our minds here. So let's go back to... Ephesians, let's read it one more time. Paul says these words, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, right? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, there's a lot here, but what does he mean? So Paul says Christ may dwell. Now this word in Greek is katoikeo, katoikeo. And it doesn't mean going to the Marriott Suites for a nice weekend getaway. Okay, like it's not a quick, like just for a couple of days and God's out of there. No, this idea, this word that we translate dwell means a permanent residence. It's actually the word that refers back to the Old Testament of tabernacle. In other words, Paul's saying God wants to tabernacle with us through Christ like he did in the Old Testament when the tabernacle literally was the place where God's spirit would rest and God's presence would fill the tabernacle. Isn't that fascinating? It's the same word. And Paul grew up with his Jewish faith. He knew exactly what the tabernacle was all about. He knew what the temple was all about. And he uses that analogy for Christ, that God in Christ now wants to tabernacle with us. Now, this is really hard sometimes for us to fully realize because I think in American culture and Western culture, we often make this separation between our spiritual life and the rest of our life, maybe. Maybe you have your Sunday morning life and then you have your Monday through Saturday life. And in Scripture, and in God's eyes, there is no separation. That God wants to be part of all of your life. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Sunday. God doesn't want to demarcate your life into different pockets when it comes to Him, how we relate to Him. What Paul is saying is that God wants to be part of your life and my life every day, every aspect of our life, because God's not only with us, he's for us. And God actually, through Christ, dwells with us. Now, why is this such a big deal? But let's back up a little bit. So Paul grew up in the Jewish faith, right? And they were taught that God's presence was primarily experienced in the tabernacle initially and then in the temple right? And so you couldn't just walk in and say, I'm going to come into the presence of God. No, there was this place called the Holy of Holies in the temple. And only the high priest could enter into that space. And that was a very unique and very special circumstance when that happened. 
And so for Paul to begin to talk about this, is people thought he was out of his mind. Like, what are you talking about? This goes against what you were raised with. But what Paul understood was he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He became a passionate follower of Jesus. And he realized when Jesus was crucified, there was this huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And it was torn in two when Christ was crucified. And that was a symbol telling the world and telling certainly Paul and all of those who grew up in this Jewish faith that the separation between God and all of us was now ripped in two because Christ now came to bridge the gap between God and us. That through Christ now we can have an encounter with God. That we can have God's spirit live in us through Christ because of what Christ had done. And Paul is just laying that out to say, this actually can happen. God, through Christ, now has his spirit and it can live in you and can live in me. The presence of God through Christ can be in you and me. This is revolutionary, right? Sometimes we've read this so many times, we forget like how radical this was from where Paul was raised and even how Jesus was raised initially, right? In the Jewish faith, this would be very like, what are you talking about? And this is what Christ came to do, to bridge that gap between God and us. Now, you may be thinking, well, that sounds good, but really? Like God's spirit living in me? I'm not very holy, Rob. Like, there may be some other holy people out there or holy places where God may show up. In fact, maybe this would be fun. Uh, let me ask you a question. Let's kind of go through this together. When I say the word holy person, what images come to mind? In fact, maybe to help you, I'm going to throw a couple up here. So when it comes to holy person, do you think of the Dalai Lama? Maybe some of you think of this person. Maybe people in the world think this is a holy person right there. Or maybe when you think of a holy person, you think of a Gandalf-type figure. If they're going to be holy, they have to have a beard like that, and they have to have a hat. Like, that. that's just like a rule, right? <laughs> just joking. Um, but no, how about Gandhi? Maybe a lot of people think Gandhi was a holy person for all that he did and how he lived his life. Or maybe the Pope. Maybe some of you have grown up with a Catholic background, and there's certainly millions of Catholics around the world that think the Pope is a holy person. Or Mother Teresa. Now there's somebody, right? She was a holy person. Maybe God could send his spirit in her because she was lived such a holy life. That's a holy person. Or maybe you think of Troy Champ. Now this guy is a holy person. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. But you're like, I'm not Troy Champ. And I'm not, I'm not holy. How could God's spirit live in me? Oh, let's talk about holy places. We talked about the temple and the tabernacle was the place where God would reveal himself. To, his presence was there. What do you think about when it comes to a holy place? Maybe the Taj Mahal. There's millions of people that go to the Taj Mahal every year because they feel like this is a holy place. Uh, maybe the Vatican. Again, Catholic background. Uh, a lot of Christians believe the Vatican. That's kind of where it all happens. Maybe that's the holy place where God's presence is most powerfully felt. Or, or maybe certainly if you were Jewish, the temple in Jerusalem was a holy place. That's where God's presence was fully experienced. Or maybe here in Salt Lake, Banbury Cross Donut Shop is a holy place for you. And that is a really special place. Or maybe it's the mall and you have a very spiritual experience when you go shopping at City Creek. I don't know. No, just joking those last two. But, but, but really, let's think about this. Do you really believe today that God's spirit can live in you and therefore you could be considered a holy person. I love it. 
I hope you do. It's not because you are holy on your own and then God's spirit came into you. No, no, God makes you holy through Christ. So you don't have to become holy first and then like, okay, God, now, now I'm good. I'm ready. I'm cleaned up. No, God does that work through Christ. Christ has done the work and he begins to work and, and make you more like his son, Jesus. The big theological term is called sanctification, making us more like Christ, making us more holy. And holiness simply means set apart. We're set apart for God and what he wants to do in our life. So what do you think? Could you live your life realizing that you really have the spirit of God in you through Christ? This could change the way you look at life. And you may be still asking yourself, maybe you're a little skeptical, like, okay, where's Paul getting this? Like, Paul came after Jesus. Like, really, is this something part of the New Testament? Well, Paul got it from Jesus. Take out one more verse let me share with you. John 14, 23. Here's what Jesus said about this. John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That phrase, make our home, is the same concept of tabernacling. It's this idea of making a permanent residence. Jesus is saying that when we put our faith in him, the spirit of God can live in us. And in that sense, God can make his home with us collectively. These are powerful words. That's where Paul got it, by the way. It transformed his own theology. Paul's theology changed because of his encounter with Jesus. And he realized, God is doing something new here through Jesus Christ. Now we all can experience God personally. We don't have to wait for the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It's an everyday thing. Because God's not only with us, God's for us. You know, there was a book when I was in high school and and a new believer in Christ that uh, I believe my youth pastor gave to me, and it's called my Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. Anybody uh, read this book? Robert Boyd Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home. Does that ring a bell? It's a couple of people last night that did. Anyway, great book. And I'm going to recommend it as a homework thing, so I'll come back to it. But here's the, the gist of it. This gentleman, this author, took this concept of God wanting to live in us through his spirit. And he turned it into like, okay, what does that really look like? And then he said, okay, so if our home was a house, a dwelling where God could come in, what would it look like for God to come into every room of our house? So it begins to spell out how God would come into the entryway. And then what it would be like for God to come into our kitchen. And you invite God into that part of your life. And then in the living room and in the bedroom and all these areas of life, right? You think about that? And what would, so think about that. Would you today, are you already today, willing to allow God to come into every room of your life. In other words, would you give God access to every single aspect of your life? I think sometimes we feel good about that up to a point until God starts going and knocking on doors that we don't want him knocking on. Here's a goofy example. Have you ever been to an Airbnb or a vacation home? And you go to this home, and all the rooms are pretty much open. And you walk through, and you're checking all the doors and the closets and the rooms. And all of a sudden, there's that one room or that one closet that's locked, right? The owner's closet. And guess what you want to do? You're like, open that door. Like, what is it? What's in there? What are they, heap? What are they keeping from us? Right? You want to open that door for one, some weird reason. I don't know why. It's an owner's closet, right? Isn't that funny? It's just a weird human thing. 
And I just wonder sometimes for us, if we're okay with God coming into most areas of our life, except for that one room, that one closet, we're keeping it locked. And that part of our heart, we're like, God, just, you know, I'm, I'm good right now. Just stay out of that room. I don't know where you are. And if that's you, but if you want to become all that God's created you to become, God says, I want access to every area of your life. Because that's how you can really thrive. Surrender every aspect of your life, every room in your life to me, and you'll see your life going to another level of spiritual effectiveness, of kingdom impact. But we've got to be willing. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and he uses this kind of same analogy of us being a living house for God. Listen to what he says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You, need that the, you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. You experienced that? What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live it in himself. You know what I think? I think sometimes we have too small of a view of God or too small of a view of what God wants to do in our life. We just kind of are content with being a little cottage. It's nice and controlled. Nice little flowers in the windows. Just That's good, God. That's all I need. And God's like, no, would you trust me? I've got so much more for your life. If you trust me, I want to build a palace in your life. I want to use you to impact many people. I want you to become all that I first created you to become. I've got plans for you that are good. Because God's not only with us, he's for us. Do you believe that today? See, here's the thing. God is available to all of us all the time. That's God's omnipresence. And that's a good thing. It should be a good thing. What we do with it can make all the difference. See, God is not just in the hallowed spaces of a lofty cathedral. God is not just working during this church service. God is available to us all the time, to all of us. Because God wants us to become all that he created us to become. So here's my question. How can you and I live with the constant awareness of God's presence in our life? How can you and I really live every day with the regular, constant awareness that God is with us actively in our life? I've got a couple ideas for you. And first, I want to point out that right here next to my water bottle was this wonderful candle. Maybe wondering, you know, we're not a liturgical church. Why do we have a candle going on here on the stage, right? Well, I grew up Lutheran. In fact, anybody grew up Lutheran? Okay, we got a couple of people. We have a few. Good. We're going to form a small group and we'll talk German to each other. It's going to be great. Study the small catechism. Wonderful. Anyway, just joking. But okay, so in the Lutheran church, they borrowed this from the Catholic church. There's been a long tradition of what's called a sanctuary lamp or sanctuary candle. 
And so if you go to a Lutheran church, they have this candle that's typically covered in a red globe. And it has to be lit all the time. I grew up being an acolyte, so you had to light all the candles for each service. And, but they always made sure that there's this one candle. You cannot let it go out. It has to be on all the time. Why? Because it represents the presence of God in that sanctuary. So that light was always on. At night, in the morning, throughout the weekend, throughout the week, it was always lit. It needed to be lit because, again, it represented. It was a symbol of God's presence being with us all the time. So this has been lit the entire time. Symbolizing God is here. God's presence is here. But here's the really, really good news. God's presence is not just here. As soon as you walk out this door, God goes with you. He doesn't just stay in the sanctuary. He doesn't just stay in the church. He goes with you. That's what we've been reading about. So the question is, how can we live in awareness that God is with us at all times? But he doesn't just stay here and wait for you to come back Sunday morning next week. No, he wants to go with you every aspect of your day. He wants to be with you. So how do we do this? I'll give you two, two ideas of how to do this well. The first is this. I encourage you to set God before you in your mind. Now, what do I mean by this? Psalm 16.8 says this. I've set the Lord always before me. There's a lot of good books written on this, and, and uh, I'll recommend later. But uh, the idea that I've set the Lord always before me. Here's one of the things that I do. Use this if it works. This idea of setting God before us. One of the things I actually do in my own life, um, I have this idea, and I try to do it when I first wake up in the morning, is literally have this visual image of Jesus with his arms outstretched before me, trying to set the Lord always before me. And I don't say this out loud, but I say in my mind, reset and I have this image of Jesus with his arms open wide. It's a mental way of me reminding myself God's in control. God is with me. Jesus is my leader. And I want Jesus to lead me this day. I, I want to put Christ before me. I want him to be the center of my mind and my attention. So rather than the first thing being the, the stressful things of the day, I wanted to start with, okay, God, you are first. And I literally have that visual image of setting the Lord before me. Perhaps you could do that too. If for me, it sets my mind and heart at peace, at least to begin with. And my goal is then to reset throughout the day. There's times where I get a really terrible email or I have a really difficult conversation or I get news that something's terrible going on in my family and that I have to reset again. Say, Jesus, you're in control. You're still here. You are my leader. You haven't left me. You're in the midst of me right here. Doesn't mean that there's not the sting of disappointment or the pain of relational conflict. No, that's all still there. It's very real. It just means that I remind myself that God's with me. I'm not alone in this one. And I can lean unto God for help for whatever I face that day. So if that helps, try it. Set the Lord always before you as Psalm 16 tells us. Here's the second thing. Stay connected to God throughout each day. Stay connected to God. Now, what do I mean by that? So I started with this cell phone, right? Now, this is pretty much with us all the time, right? So let's utilize this tool as a good thing for us, not a distraction or a bad thing, right? So one of the things I think is interesting, you know, right now today, right, you have the capability. There's Wi-Fi signals and cellular data where you can tie into. If your phone is on, you can get on the internet. You could text a friend. You could call somebody if you wanted. You could check on the score of the Utah Utes last night. I mean, you could do a lot of things with this because you can connect to Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or cellular data. 
that's out here. Now, here's one thing you could do that many of you maybe did is you can do this thing called airplane mode, right? You could put it on airplane mode, which means you disable your phone with the ability to connect. In other words, when you have airplane mode, you can't send text, you can't send emails, you can't browse the internet. It shuts everything down. Now, why do I say that? I think for most of us today, I think you intellectually believe that God's with us all the time. He's in this room. He's with us all the time. But you know what we can do? God's given us free will, and we can hit the airplane mode in our heart. We can disconnect from God if we want. Even though God's still here, doesn't change the fact that God's with us. He's with us all the time. He's always available. But we can hit that disconnect button. We can hit that airplane mode. We no longer send texts to him or pray or maybe hear from him. That's something we can do on our end. And so I just challenge you, let's be super mindful and ask God to help us stay connected to him throughout each day. Let me spell this out a little bit more. What would this look like? So when you wake up in the morning, whatever your routine is, instead of grabbing the phone and jumping into your emails or looking at your Facebook feed or stressing out about all the things you have to do, would you take the time the first thing in the morning to literally, if you want to do the set the Lord before you and have that mental image of Jesus or simply say this, God, I invite you to join me in my day. I want you to come and be part of every aspect of my day today. Now, of course, God's already there, by the way, but there's something about proactively inviting God to come with you during your day. Say, God, I want you to come with me. In fact, I need you. Please come with me today. I need you every moment of all that I have to do today. So invite God into your life from the very beginning to join you that day. So then as you go throughout the day, as you interact with your coworkers, what if you really begin to look at your coworkers and you took the time to actually look at them and to listen to them and calm yourself down enough to focus on what's going on in their life and understand what you could do to better their day, to, to improve what's going on in their life and really listen to what's going on, not just kind of hit listen to what you need and then move on to the next thing, but actually listen like God would want you to listen. So you would actually honor God and honor this person when they're in your presence. What if you started treating your spouse and your children, and your roommate in a way that actually reflected the love of God. Like if you really thought that God was with you as you interact with your spouse and your wife, or your spouse and your kids and and your roommate, I think we may treat each other a little differently because we know God's there. In fact, God is right there with us and we want to honor God in the way we treat others. We want to show his love to them. We want to actually show that we care about them. What if When you're driving today, you invite God to be in the car with you. That may keep you from telling everybody they're number one. That may actually change the way you drive today a little bit. But seriously, what if everything we read, everything we spent our money on, everything we looked at, everything we thought about, everything we said was all done with the constant awareness of God's presence in our life? I think it would transform the way we live and how we treat each other. So that's my prayer for you today, is that you would embrace and receive with excitement and joy the reality that God's not only with us, he's for us. And through Christ, he wants to live in us through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. So God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be reminded today 
that God, we are not holy on our own. But through Christ, you actually can make us holy. God, thank you that you love us enough that you care about the innermost part of who we are, our inner being, our heart. And you want us to have a well-ordered heart because you know, God, whatever's in our heart will eventually come out in our life. And you want us to become the best version of ourselves. God, may you remind us today and may you give us the courage to invite you into every aspect of our life, to invite you into every room in our house so that truly, God, we are in a 24-7 awareness that you're with us and you're for us. God, even today as we walk out of this place, whether it be the reminder of this candle or the reminder of this message, may we know that you go with us. You don't stay in this room. You actually go with us. And as we go out, God, you want to use us to spread your love and your grace and your compassion and your joy to all those around us, all those we interact with. Thank you, God, that you care enough to be involved. Thank you for your omnipresence. And thank you, God, you're not just with us. You are for us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, listen, let me just give you two uh, books for homework. As I mentioned, Robert Boyd Munger, My Heart Christ Home. It's on Amazon. It's a real small little book. Great book. It'll give you a new idea of what it really means to have God a part of your life. And number two, I think um, Troy already mentioned this book, but I encourage you to uh, mention again, Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God. A fantastic book. Another small one, but boy, a powerful book. One of the most widely read in Western history, actually, about what does it look like to actually have the ongoing presence of God in our life and to live out of that? Then last, well, of course, we always have this image uh, for the big idea, if you will, of this message. God's not only with us, God's for us. If it helps, put it as your screensaver. Uh, put it somewhere where it reminds you this week, every day, that God's with us. And may you live today, tomorrow, this week, knowing that God is not only with us, but he's for us. Thank you for listening. Troy, come on up. Stand with me. My friends, I'm glad you came to church today. If you'd like to receive prayer, there will be someone standing here at the front waiting to pray for you. Uh, if you're watching online, please send us an email, caretcapitalchurch.com. You can do that anytime through the week. We have a team of people who want to pray for you. This is what I want to pray for each of you this morning. May every day this week, may you focus your mind on the fact that God's not just with you, but he's for you. And may staying your mind on that fact change the way you think and change the way you feel about every dilemma you've got to face and every decision you've got to make. Thanks for coming today. Grace and peace.